Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, all the books listeners. This is Rebecca. And before we get started with the show this week, I just want to take another opportunity to invite you to join us at Book Riot Live on November 7th and 8th in New York City. This is Book Riot's first live event. It's a two-day reader convention. That's the kind of event that we've always wanted to attend and that we know because you've told us you've been looking for as well. We are incredibly excited to be bringing a really wide-ranging group of presenters to Book Riot Live, people like Alexander Chi, Margaret Atwood, Beverly Jenkins, Daniel Jose Older, Greg Pack, N.K. Jemison, Lori Hulse Anderson, and so many more. One of our goals for Book Riot, and for Book Riot Live in specific, is to help grow the marketplace for books and for comics by featuring authors that reflect this big, beautiful, diverse world that we live in and that represent all of the kinds of people who are here. We want to connect with readers. We want readers to connect with each other, and we want to encourage readers to seek out new authors from traditionally marginalized groups. We want to encourage you to broaden your reading horizons. So all of the panels at Book Riot Live are cross-genre. There's no specific literary fiction panel or fantasy panel. Rather, we're finding commonalities across all genres, and you can get info about that at bookriotlive.com schedule. We're featuring speakers and panels and content that are intending to serve as many readers as possible and that are inclusive of race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, and class. We're working really hard on this because we're so passionate about it, and we want to help you discover new favorites so that you can recommend broader, more representative books to your bookish friends and they can read them and love them and help contribute to the kind of publishing climate and the kind of book world that we want to live in. So go to bookriotlive.com to check out the full lineup of speakers, the whole schedule, all of the fun stuff that we have planned and use the code MOREcats to save $20 on your registration as an all the books listener. Thanks and I'm looking forward to meeting you in November. All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode number 20. 20. Woo woo. And today we're talking about books released on September 22nd, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. You are 20. once again back from a trip. I am. I just got back from a week in New Orleans. Which was awesome, I imagine. It was mostly really excellent. I found a few really great bookstores that were literally stacked floor to ceiling with books where you could barely turn around without touching a book or knocking a pile of books over as I may or may not have done. I'm sure they're used to it. I saw that photo. <laughs> they have to be. Like where you're, I saw that great photo where you're like standing in between these two 
very tall stacks, and there's like some kind of box fan yeah, hanging was, over your head, like it's going to come down at any moment. There was that that was Arcadian Books, which is right in the French Quarter, and I wish that I could have had an aerial view of that store because it like it doesn't really have aisles; it's very maze like and it's tiny. So you get in, and if you turn right and you find yourself in like a little nook or an aisle of books, you can't necessarily go to the end of the aisle and then turn and come down another one. You just like sort of spin around. Around, uh, you know this book labyrinth until you eventually find your way out like it's probably I don't know maybe 800 square feet in there probably smaller but the, every conceivable inch uh, that could hold a book was holding a book uh, and like Bob and I lost each other in this very tiny bookstore a couple of times it was, <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful it was you know that like book nerd heaven moment and it smelled great uh, I often joke about the people who rhapsodize about the smell of books but it is hard to beat the smell of an awesome used bookstore yeah it looked amazing I love stores like that did it have a cat it didn't have a cat honestly I oh. don't know where the cat would go <laughs> It was like the owner sat in a little chair right by the door. Um, there wasn't a desk. Uh, he like the cash register was just sort of tucked up in the middle of another several piles of books. But he magically knew where everything was, uh, and it was there was no visible organization system. Uh, but when I asked for specific kinds of books, he like, could take me right to the shelf and go, okay, just sit on the floor here and pull everything off the shelf and then just sort of throw everything that you don't want back on the shelf and we'll worry about it later. <laughs> I was like, all right. Because the whole thing was in his head. The whole inventory system was inside his yes. head. Like a Sherlock Holmes villain. Oh, yeah. There was not a computer in this store. This was not digital inventory. And if he had any idea what he had in the store, and he certainly seemed to, it was all just in this one man's brain. It I, was It was great. <laughs> I just heard of this new place. One of one of our our fellow rioters went to a place called the book loft in columbus which is mm. apparently like 32 rooms full of books and whoa she posted a picture on instagram and so many people were like that's the best place ever i've never heard of it but now i want to yeah. go yeah my sister lives in columbus you could just tag along next time i go i'll put you in my <gasps> backpack have you been there i've been to columbus but not to the book loft oh field trip so now i'll have a, a an extra task on my next trip yeah ginger road trip yeah <laughs> You fly to Richmond, and then we fly to Columbus together. And the listeners of all the books will come bail us out when we inevitably end up in airport jail. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's a good Although plan. Although they're like, you can't take 700 books on the plane. This is all carry-on. <laughs> like, what if someone steals one of my books? They'll fit in the overhead compartment. Yeah. yeah. It's perfectly reasonable. I don't see why not. Hey, should we do our first sponsor? We've been chatting for a while, so we can do our sponsor and then get into our show. Okay. Okay. All right. Hold on. I got to get down to that note then. It's, like it's all, all over the place. So our first sponsor is the fabulous book Under the Udala Trees by Chinelo Oparanta. Uh, this book was just longlisted for the 2015 Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. And it's been on a ton of lists as a best book of the fall, best book to read. I sadly have not read it yet. I meant to, but I just did not get to it in time. But uh, several of our coworkers have raved about it, and so many people are raving about it. It sounds amazing. Um, it's continuing our thing of 2015 having incredible debuts. Yes. Yes. And another uh, debut by a Nigerian author, like yes. The Fisherman. Mm -hmm. um, the book is about a woman named Ijioma, who comes of age as her nation does. Born before independence, she is 11 when civil war breaks out in the young republic of Nigeria. 
Sent away to safety, she meets another displaced child, and they, star-crossed, fall in love. They are from different... Dif- I can't speak. They are from different ethnic communities, and they are also both girls. When their love is discovered, Ijeoma learns that she will have to hide this part of herself. But there is a cost to living inside a lie. As Edwige Dantica has made personal the legacy of Hades political coming of age, Oparanta's Under the Udala Trees uses one woman's lifetime to examine the ways in which Nigerians continue to struggle toward selfhood. Even as the nation contends with and recovers from the efforts of war and diversion, diversion, division, <laughs> it's not my day, Nigerian lives are also wrecked and lost from taboo and prejudice. This story offers a glimmer of hope, a future where a woman might just be able to shape her life around truth and love. So, see, sounds amazing. It does. Everyone that we know who has read it has loved it. Our notes here have blurbs from Edwige J. Danticott, from Tayari Jones, and so many other people are talking about how wonderful this book is. This is a personal, um, not, I don't know if I've read enough of them to call it a wheelhouse. It's just a kind of a trope that I really love of using one person's or one character's story in fiction to look at a larger social issue or a larger cultural thing. And it sounds like she's doing that here. Um, I'm really looking forward to picking it up. Yes. And it's out uh, today. Yes, we will have links in the show notes uh, where you can get more information about Chinelo Okparanta and Under the Udala Trees, or you can, of course, ask for it wherever books are sold. You can also visit her website. Yes, chinelookparanta.com. And that is C-H-I-N-E-L-O-O-K-P-A-R-A-N-T-A.com. It's really fun to say. It's it a is. beautiful name. I wonder... What? I just lost my train of thought. I don't know what I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what I was about to wonder. How about I, I talk about my first book then? If you do it, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's move I on. will. I'll gather my thoughts. You move on. At least you have like travel brain. I have no excuse whatsoever. <laughs> like it's just, just maybe it's because I, I held off on the Red Bull for the podcast. And now I'm like falling asleep. So, but my first book, my first pick is called Furiously Happy, a funny book about horrible things. By Jenny Lawson. Such so a good title. you're laughing already. It's and such a good title. A, yeah, and it's a really funny book. Um, if the name Jenny Lawson doesn't sound familiar to you, you might also know her better as her online persona, The Bloggist. Yes, uh, yes. She's, she's really great. She has a great blog where she posts funny stories and pictures, um, but she also talks about mental health issues. Um, Lawson will be the first person to tell you that she's crazy. She calls herself crazy. Um, and that is a large part of what her new book is about. And it's an important book. Uh, She shares the stories of her depression and self-injury in the hopes that mental illness will someday no longer be treated as something to be ashamed of or something people feel they have to hide. She's built this really amazing community of people just, like, supporting each other and encouraging each other. It's really wonderful. Um, Some of the stories in the book about her personal experience with depression would be sad if she wasn't so damn funny. (laughs) I mean, she's so funny. She wants people to know that they are not alone and that no matter who you are or what is going on in your life, that these thoughts and feelings can happen to anyone at any time and that having to take medication for depression and other mental illnesses is nothing to be ashamed of or hide. Uh, She also just tells these laugh-out-loud funny stories about crazy things that she thinks and things going on in her life. Um, This is her second book. Her first one was called uh, Let's Pretend This Never Happened. And like, kind of like the new Mindy Kaling book that just came out, I enjoyed this one more than the first one. The first one books were great, but in this, they're more. Like, in the second one, it's more like 
or in the first one, it's more like, uh, this is where I came from and my family and my siblings and what it was like for me to grow up and where I, I grew up and all the, my schooling and all that, um, which is good. But and the second books are better because it's now, here's where I am now and what's going on in my life and some funny things that have happened recently. And yeah, I agree. I just read the new Mindy Kaling uh, during my trip and I totally agree with you there. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, they've like matured and they've also like matured as writers. Yeah, um, Kaling says something early in the new book about, um, which is called Why Not Me, that about like, you know, earlier in my career, I wanted to be recognized and now I want to be known and like to show the truth of who I am. And I thought this one was um, deeper about who she is. And it sounds like Jenny Lawson's doing the same thing and furiously happy. Yes. But then there's also stories like this one um, where she had a friend who insisted that she make a bucket list. She wasn't, mm. she wasn't really into with the idea. Like, she's like, I don't know what I would put on my bucket list. And her friend's like, no, you have to have a bucket list. So, so Jenny Lawson was like, okay, I want to go to Australia and dress as a koala and hold a koala. <laughs> That's and, a good bucket list item. <laughs> right? So, so her friend was like, okay, let's go. So she packed her costume and they flew to Australia and they cleared it with the zoo ahead of time <laughs> that they were going to be visiting saying, you know, she's going to dress as a koala. But apparently you can only handle koalas in one part of the continent. Like, on the other part of the continent, it's illegal to hold koalas. Oh, and no. she sadly was in that part. So oh, no. she could dress as a koala, but she couldn't hold one. So she had to settle for posing by the koala instead, dressed as a koala. <laughs> but it was really okay because the koalas at the zoo had recently come down with koala chlamydia. So <laughs> nobody really wanted to be handling them anyway. <laughs> right? Did you not, like, that's also something that's really fun oh. to say. But I, <laughs> I don't chlamydia. suggest. Yeah. Um, and then there was this there was this thing where she talks about how if Mary Poppins was a thing, like if she was a real person that existed in this day and age, there would be a lot of Mary Poppins upskirt pics on the <laughs> internet, like people taking them with their cell phones. Um, anyway, she she floats from her <laughs> umbrella. Yeah, she's just hilarious. She's so funny. Um, this is a really great book, and I was also I was also thinking a little bit about this because um, she talks a lot about how her father was a taxidermist. And so Jenny herself collects, you know, dead animals. Um, she she particularly likes ones that are in weird poses and have big googly eyes and, you know, all these things. But now people send her dead animals. Like, she arrives <laughs> home to find, like, you know, animal skins and people bring them to her at her readings. And oh, my gosh. I was thinking, like, you really have to be careful, like, what you put out there. Like, that is your thing. You know, if you don't want to come <laughs> home and, like, find a stack of dead animals like, on your doorstep. Um I had a, a friend who was telling me that uh, he went to a film festival where Tommy Chong was, and all anybody wanted to do was get Tommy Chong high. And I was like, <laughs> he put that out as his thing, and it is working for him, and this is working for her. It's like, but you just have to be careful what it is that your thing is, I guess. I mean, maybe I'm not telling the internet how much I like bourbon, because the bourbon is not showing up at my house yet. Uh, I think I'm doing a good job with books. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. would say that you are definitely doing a good job with books. Yeah. Speaking of books, should I do mine? Yes. Okay, so yours, that was what was furiously funny. Furiously right? happy. Furiously happy and funny. Oh, so okay. funny. Uh, my first pick is more serious. Uh, it's called The Social Sex, A History of Female Friendship by Marilyn Yalom and Teresa Donovan Brown. I think I teased this one several episodes back when I was just getting ready to read it. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, 
Marilyn Yalom and Teresa Donovan Brown look at the fact that we have many records of men's friendships sort of all the way through recorded history. Um, from the BC era, we hear about, you know, like the old Greek and Roman guys who gathered together, who had friends and who had mentors and they wrote things and they were Plato and Socrates and all of those other historic dudes. But we don't really have nearly as many records of women's friendships. Our, our you know, Western culture in particular has always valued men in political and cultural climates. Um, but women were not thought to have the emotional or intellectual capacity to develop and sustain deep relationships with each other, which is really interesting given that now, like in contemporary American culture, we talk about like, it's the women who are responsible for nurturing relationships and for keeping things going smoothly um, at home and at work and in romantic lives. It's a really interesting switch. Um, so Yalom and Teresa Donovan Brown went looking for what evidence there was and what sorts of primary records they could find of women's friendships and of how women's friendships and the cultural ideas about them have changed through history. And so they start uh, with the Bible. And they look at some of the friendships between women that are written about in the Bible. And then they move up through uh, letters that nuns wrote each other from different convents. They look at letters that Victorian women wrote each other, diary entries that women wrote about their friendships and relationships. They look at the, um, so not trend, the phenomenon of romantic friendships that um, also were occurring in Victorian culture, where women were essentially lovers, but we didn't have the the same terminology about sexuality that we have now. And so they described themselves as romantic friendships, um, or it might be sort of an eight, a non-sexual, but obsessive, passionate love that two female friends had for each other. And it moves up through quilting circles, prayer circles, card playing clubs, and now through social media and how we connect, um, how women particularly connect with other women and form friendships. The book is really fascinating. Um, it will fill you with the like, hey, did you know, did you know this thing, um, sorts of tidbits that you can repeat. It is, I'll say, more academic than I was expecting. Um, I think it, I would have liked to have, you know, some snapshots of like famous friendships. Like it would have been great to have Tina Fey and Amy Poehler in there talk about their friendship or something like that, um, rather than just the academic narrative of it. But it's very accessible. It didn't feel like, I, maybe academic is not the word I should be using. It didn't feel like reading a book for school. I was really compelled. Every chapter is about friendships in a different section of history. And they start way back in the Bible and then they move up chronologically. So you really get a full scope of um, how women related to each other and also how those friendships were captured and documented. I thought it was really interesting um, and definitely got me thinking about where we might be going next. So that is The Social Sex, A History of Female Friendship by Marilyn Yalom and Teresa Donovan Brown. Did you read Alice and Frida Forever by Alexis Coe? I keep opening it on Oyster um, to start it, but then not actually starting it because I'm so far behind already reading new books. <laughs> It's so good and so worth it. But you reminded me of it because it's the true story of uh, two young women who had a romantic relationship in the mm. late 1800s in Mississippi. And when one broke up with the other, uh, she murdered her. She slashed oh, her to ribbons in, in public. And during the trial, they would clear the courtroom of the women, uh, not to talk about her being murdered, but to talk about them being romantically involved because that was just something that you didn't talk about. And the women, you know, their constitutions were too weak. They couldn't handle the idea of thinking about two women being in a relationship like that. So they could sit there and listen to them, you know, talk about her slashing her to pieces. No problem. But kissing parts, 
out of the question. And it's just, it was amazing. It's an amazing book. I hope you do get a chance to get to it. I'll do it. I will do it. I have a bunch of travel coming up again for work. I have like 10 days with eight flights coming up soon. Um, so I'll be putting my face in lots and lots of books. It's also going to be made into a movie soon. Oh, it is? Yes, by the okay. director of The Babadook, which is another fun word. All right. That is a fun word. Then I have to read it before the movie comes out. All right, kiddo, what's next on your list? My next book is by someone I greatly admire. Oh, I like her too. Yay. Yes, she's so great. Uh, it's The Lower Quarter by Elise Blackwell. Um, this is, it takes place in the city that you just visited. Mm-hmm. Yes, it takes place, it's uh, in the Lower Quarter in New Orleans, uh, set uh, after Hurricane Katrina. Blackwell starts the book uh, five, about five weeks after the storm, when people are slowly returning to the city and things are moldy and broken and just starting to dry and swell and there's this sort of insidious haze hanging over the lower quarter. Um, the book is centered around four people. There's Jonah, a woman who works restoring damaged art. Uh, Eli, a former art thief turned stolen art hunter. Uh, Marion, an artist and masseuse who decides to return to the city and rebuild her life. And the mysterious Clay, who hails from a powerful New Orleans family. Um, it turns out that right before the storm, a man was murdered in a hotel room in the lower quarter. Uh, but with the incoming catastrophe, no mention of it was made until weeks later. And in the murdered man's hotel room, they find these two rare paintings that had disappeared from a gallery in Europe about a dozen years before. So the thing is that at the time of that robbery, there were three paintings that were stolen. So Eli, the art hunter, is hired to find the third painting. It's thought that if you find the man's murderer you'll find that painting. Mm. So, uh, Johanna is tied to it because she knows the identity of the murdered man. Like, she sees his his image in the newspaper and, and she's worried that her past is catching up with her. Um, and then the other two are also soon engulfed in the mystery. So, I think Elise Blackwell is an amazing writer. And she's so deserving of so much more attention. Um, she's written several great novels. One what of- was the one about the um, musicians? There was, like, a, it was... Several years ago, something about an orchestra, maybe, or a composer. Yes, you. Now that you put me on the spot, I'm not going to <laughs> remember the name of any of them. Um, uh, it was so good. An unfinished score. Yes, yes. Uh, she also did the A Natural History of Cypress Parish, which is my favorite one. Um, she uh, one of her songs was, or one of her stories was made into a song by the Decemberists, which is pretty rad. Oh, that's cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, and I think like they've. Uh, made her books into stage plays. Mm-hmm. She's just really great, and I, I hope that this brings her even more attention. Um, her publisher, Un- Unbridled Books, is also really awesome. So read her book, support Unbridled. That's my pitch. Awesome. And that's the lower quarter. Yes. Cool. Okay, my next pick. This is one of those moments that like you almost miss a book and you've never read the author before, and it's like, why has the bookish internet been failing me by not introducing me to this author. So out in paperback this week and freshly longlisted for the National Book Award for Fiction is Honeydew by Edith Perlman. This is a collection of short stories. There are 20 short stories in under 300 pages. So these are like true short stories. There's no 70 page novella business here, which I know some of you like, but I always get cranky when I am on a nice, you know, like worked up a nice head of steam going through a short story collection. And then I hit the novella in the middle. Uh, so 
Anyway, that's just my quirk, but honeydew <laughs> satisfies my idiosyncratic requirements for short stories. Um, many people call Edith Perlman America's greatest living short story writer, and I don't know what rock I've been under that I had not heard of her until this book showed up uh, in the mail. I'm so, so glad it did. I think she's kind of the American equivalent to Alice Munro. Yes. These are stories about domestic life, about social and cultural life in a small town. She, these are in a small town in Massachusetts near Boston. They're quiet. They're observant. They're occasionally very cutting. Uh, some of the stories are linked in that a character who showed up on the periphery in one is the main character in a later story, um, but there's not an ongoing plot to follow. She has this just, I, I read this on the plane yesterday, and it was like I just sat there having my mind quietly blown for a couple of hours. Perlman has this way of revealing a character's whole essence in one perfect phrase or sentence. And Man, it's just a knockout. The opening story is called Tenderfoot. It's about a woman whose husband died in service, and uh, she opens a pedicure parlor. She has a professional degree and has worked in a you know, like a white collar fancy job, but doesn't like want to do that anymore. So she opens a pedicure parlor, and the people of the town start coming to get pedicures from her because she's great, but also because they want to support her after this terrible thing has happened to her. And she's got a neighbor whose bathroom window lets him see into the parlor. And he doesn't know that she can see him, but he sits in his bathroom and watches her and sort of falls in love with watching how she interacts with her customers, which it sounds creepy, like he's being a peeping Tom, but it's not creepy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm not doing a good job selling this story, but he goes and sees her <laughs> one night. And as she's giving him the pedicure, we are really getting into her head about what it is, how she approaches her client the the gift of being able to be silent for someone who is coming to you and just wants to talk um, while they're having that service. And a bunch of Perlman's characters have that. They're like a, a woman who's a shop owner who people come to and vent about their life. And she never really says anything. One of her rules is to never give advice. But by the time, by the time that they're finished talking to her, they've just verbally explored all their options and they've made up their mind and they feel that they've gotten advice from her. And she's observing what she knows about their lives. It's just... Um, they're just so good. These stories are so good. Um, each one has something, a little jewel in the middle to recommend it. And I'm going to go back and find every short story by Edith Perlman that I can that has been previously published. Um, I'm so glad that there are so very many of them and that I have found her so that I won't miss out on the next one. And that collection is called Honeydew. I don't think you should beat yourself up too much. I, if I'm not mistaken, and I very often am, uh, <laughs> she started publishing very late. Like, she's in her 70s, if not mm -hmm. her 80s now. Um, and she's only just recently started publishing. So we haven't been keeping this from you okay. for a very long time. Well, she's amazing. And there's plenty of room under the rock that I've been living under for all of you who have not heard of her yet as well. <laughs> That's got to be a big rock. Yeah. <laughs> what up? I got a big rock. <laughs> So funny that you should. Are you mocking me? Because I told you that's all I've been listening to this week. <laughs> I may or may not have been thinking about your recent thrift shop. I on came repeat. late to Macklemore. Okay, <laughs> just just. You could write a BuzzFeed essay about that. I know. I'm I'm embarrassed, but I love him. I love it. Where is your God now? Um, let's, move, let's move on to something respectable. <laughs> yes, let's talk about our favorite person now. 
Um, this is going to be my next pick, but I want you to help me out with it because it's such an amazing, difficult book to talk about. I'm not going to do it justice. I just know it already. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to talk about it either, but we're okay. going to try. We're just going to wave our arms. Uh, this book is called I Crawl Through It by A.S. King. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that we worship her. We love her she very much. so amazing. Um, but this is a really hard book to talk about. Uh, she has written a surrealist vision of what contemporary life is like for teenagers. Would you mm-hmm. say that's a, a fair description? Yes. Yes. Uh, so come for the important message. Stay for the invisible helicopter. Get yeah. prepared to, like, <laughs> not know what the hell is happening some yeah. of the time, but to enjoy the fact that you don't know. Yeah. If you only read straightforward, easily explained fiction, this is not the book for you. But if you enjoy unusual, smart stories, it's very Vonnegut-esque. Is that a word? It mm-hmm. is now. Um, yep. Very Vonnegut-esque. Um, this is definitely the book for you if you enjoy that. Uh, there's a girl who likes to spend time dissecting dead animals, and her parents' idea of vacation is to visit the scene of school shootings. Uh, there's a girl who has swallowed herself, like literally swallowed herself. So now She's, she's a walk- walking digestive tract. Yeah, she's inside out completely. Uh, there's a boy who's building an invisible helicopter that people can only see one day out of the week. Um, each, each person has like a different day that they can see it. Uh, there's a and then there's a girl who lies constantly whose hair grows several feet a day. Like she cuts it off and it just all grows back. It it grows when she lies like Pinocchio's nose. Yes, they they call her hair Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all go to school at this high school uh, where bomb threats are called in every day. And two of them also live near a man who resides in the bushes who sells people letters of the alphabet and pitchers of lemonade. Rufy's optional. Um, and sometimes he doesn't wear clothes, but in reality, he's completely harmless. So, these are all the, the strange things that are that are going on. Yeah. But behind the dissection and the invisible aircraft and the hair and the digestive tract are real situations and worries and problems that teenagers face. Yeah, I thought it was a really... Like, this could only come out of A.S. King's brain. And we talked in an earlier episode about having lunch with her at BEA last year and she was just starting to work on this and we were like how does that even work when you're writing a story about a kid like one of the kids is a digestive tract what uh it she does it she makes it work Uh, all the kids are either recovering from some sort of trauma or their family has had some difficulty or they're just experiencing the everyday difficult trauma of being a teenager and she takes those harms and hurts that are often invisible and internal and finds ways to make them external and tangible and visible through these characters. Um, You don't get any resolution at the end. There's no like, wait, but did she really swallow herself or not? Um, There's no explanation for how uh, these characters are presented to us. I, and, and I thought it was totally brilliant. I felt unsettled the whole time. I think I was yeah. texting you like, I'm 50 pages into I Crawl Through It and I don't even know what's real anymore. Yeah. She's going to save the world. I, I say that all the time. I really believe it. She just she just thinks about the good in and, the world all the time and, and what she can do. And this was such a good reminder to me too, though, as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is a book for teenagers of how books for teenagers and books that demonstrate to teenagers that adults can remember what it's like to be that age and can understand what it's like to be that age don't have to be the like hyper articulate Dawson's Creek 
character who does all the uh, like talk therapy through their friends and through the book's dialogue the whole time. There are really creative and experimental ways to get at, look, I understand what it is to be a teenager and to have all of that adolescent angst and to have really terrible experiences and to have a family that's not perfect and to try to come through those things. And King takes that more challenging way of telling her stories. And I think it says a lot about how much she trusts readers and how much she trusts teen readers in particular to be able to hang with something that's not the the normal thing that they're used to reading, um, but that they'll be able to relate to it and to see themselves in these characters who are who seem so far from normal. I would like to read the, the very last thing in the book, if I may. Please do. Um, in her in her afterward, where she's thanking everyone, it says, uh, "Student readers, thank you for reading. Thank you for writing to me. Thank you for being you. You are not ovals. You are not letters. You are human beings. And every time someone rolls their eyes at you because they think your opinion doesn't count, picture me giving them the finger." <laughs> so great. She's awesome. She's so awesome. So yeah, it's it's amazing. That was our collective Muppet Arm moment for "I Crawl Through It" by A.S. King. Hooray! Do you want to hear about our next sponsor? Man, this is going to be a long show, so hang in there, listeners. You're just going to get bonus, <laughs> bonus minutes this month, this week. <laughs> I promise I'll have Red Bull next time. <laughs> okay, so sponsoring this episode is Entry Island by Peter May. This is set in Entry Island, which is near Montreal. Um, a murder rocks the isolated community, and homicide detective and insomniac. It seems like being a homicide detective and being an insomniac often go together. Um, Sheen McKenzie heads for the scattered chain of Madeline Islands, which is in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, also in Canada. These islands are only two kilometers wide and three kilometers long. Um, Entry Island is home to a population of just more than 100 people, the wealthiest of whom has just been discovered murdered in his home. She's covered in her husband's blood and the dead man's... um, Oh, sorry. Covered in her husband's blood, the dead man's melancholy wife spins a tale for the police about a masked intruder armed with a knife. The investigation appears to be a little more than a formality, but Sheem is electrified by the widow during his interview and convinced that he's met her before, even though this is clearly impossible. Sheem is haunted by this certainty. His insomnia or hers, um, I'm not sure, uh, is punctuated by vivid hallucinatory dreams of a distant past on a Scottish island 3,000 miles away, dreams in which he and the widow play leading roles. Sheem's fantasy about past lives and linked fate soon becomes an obsession, and despite mounting evidence of the woman's guilt, he finds himself convinced of her innocence. So uh, the author of Entry Island, Peter May, is uh, also the author of the award-winning Lewis trilogy, which is The Black House, The Lewis Man, and The Chessman. This is a standalone novel that explores how a contemporary crime investigation is transformed by a tragic series of events in Scottish history. So you've had, you have that uh, old past meets new current stuff uh, stories happening together. It's written in dueling narratives. There's the first-person account of the significant past past event that reveals a growing web of connections. And then there's a present day line of narrative about uh, the mysterious crime. Did this woman really kill her husband, who was the wealthiest man on the island? And the events of Entry Island relate to the tragic history of the the Highland Clearances, uh, which was a forced displacement by the British government of families who had been living for generations in the highlands of May's native Scotland. Uh, So the author is pulling on real history to imagine this story. 
Uh, this is coming out from Quirkus. Um, it was published on September 15th. So by the time you're listening to this show, you'll be able to read it. That's Entry Island by Peter May. History meets investigative crime uh, with a little bit of uh, maybe even not mythology, but real ancient history and intrigue thrown in. We'll have a link in the show notes. And again, you can buy it wherever books are sold. Since uh, since we did the AS King together, do you want to um, do yours and then I'll end with mine? Sure. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Well, I've got, I think I have two left. Oh, yeah. Well, so I'll do a quickie for um, for one of my two. I'll just lump them together because it's our show and we can move on the fly. So why not? Uh, so out in paperback this week is How We Got to Now, Six Innovations That Made the Modern World by Stephen Johnson. If you like contemporary, very readable nonfiction and sort of pop science writing, you need to be reading Stephen Johnson. His uh, earlier book, Where Good Ideas Come From, uh, was is one of my favorite things about innovation and creativity. And this book is the history of six specific innovations that shaped modern society. Refrigeration is one of them, like how we developed ice and then figured out ways to move ice around and how that led to the present day uh, meatpacking industry and how it led to air conditioning, which uh, having just spent a week in a very hot part of the country, I am extra grateful for air conditioning, um, the development of clocks, the development of eyeglass lenses, and how these uh, world-changing innovations came from everyone from hobbyists to experts. Some of them were accidental discoveries. Some of them were very intentional, methodical um, inventions. It's just totally fascinating. Also, another one of those books that will fill you with great tidbits for um, wowing your friends or boring them to tears. But if your friends are bored by the facts that you share with them from books, maybe look into some new friends. Uh, so that's How We Got to Now, Six Innovations That Made the Modern World by Stephen Johnson. And my other book that I'm excited to read and that I just think is an awesome thing that's happening in the world uh, is Mycroft Holmes by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes, that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the famous basketball player. He's also a huge Sherlock Holmes nerd. Huge. Uh, and so if you are a Sherlock Holmes nerd, you know that Mycroft is Sherlock's older brother. Um, this book imagines Mycroft's earlier career. Uh, and Abdul-Jabbar collaborated on it with another writer. I have only read some of the Sherlock, the Sherlock stories, but I'm super interested in this, mainly because of who has written it and because I love it when it when famous people, especially people who are famous for seemingly non-intellectual pursuits, turn out to be huge nerds about something um, in the way that like you have to really know a lot about Sherlock Holmes and the stories and history to try to tell the, an unknown, previously unimagined story about one of the characters. And so I think Mycroft Holmes, is uh, that's a great pick if you're into Sherlock Holmes. If you've got a family member who's into Sherlock Holmes, this would be a, a fun thing to give them for Christmas. You were telling me before we started the recording that uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a member of like really fancy Sherlock Holmes yeah. organizations. Yeah, the two like most esteemed ones that are really hard to get into. How I wonder how does one get into a Sherlock Holmes society? You have to kill somebody and get away with it, I think. <laughs> and then when they find out that you did it, they kick you out. Ah, so you hope you hope that nobody finds out. No, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if any of you know, please tell us. <laughs> Um, there's a really amazing David Grand essay about that, like in about a man who was, oh, mur- who yeah, there died. is, it's, yeah. what is it? The Devil it's in Sherlock that, Holmes. Yes. That's a great yeah. essay collection yes. about and, people who are, and, have weird obsessions. And then, uh, the Sherlockian, which is a novel based on that. Bob's about to start that. <gasps> I love that's a that weird, book. 
what weird synchronicity. He yes. just like, oh my God, I just said synchronicity. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will quickly tell you about my last my last pick. Also, um, there was that, that very nice listener who tweeted at us the other day that she was listening to the podcast on like one and a half time. And I was thinking, how can she even understand what we're saying? We already <laughs> talk so fast. It's really amazing. It was amazing. So my last amazing pick is Walk on Earth, a Stranger, book one in the Gold Seer. Uh, by Ray Carson. Um, I picked this up for two reasons. One, because so many rioters were losing their minds with excitement over it in the ba- in the book riot back channels. And two, because it is edited by Martha Mihalik, who is a wonderful editor at Green Willow Books. And sometimes you just, it's like having a favorite director. You know, you have favorite editors. Um, she worked on Poisoned Apples by Christine Hepperman. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so good. Uh, so without even knowing what this was about, I requested a copy and, oh, yeah, it's set in the 1800s during the gold rush. You know how I love a Western. <laughs> I was so like, perfect. this is made for me, but I'm not going to say synchronicity. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, that'll never happen again. It's okay. It's a perfectly fine word and a great police song. Anyway, um, this one is a little different than, a, than your usual Western. It is about a young girl named Lee Westfall who lives in Georgia with her parents. Uh, she tends to the chickens and cleans the barn and goes to school and does all the things that girls did to help out back then. Uh, only Lee is a little different than other girls. Uh, she has the magical ability to sense the presence of gold. If there is gold nearby, she gets this strange buzzing sensation and she can locate it, kind of like a water dowser, like she, she can find it. Um, it's a really handy skill to have, except that this is the 1800s and a magical power could be viewed as witchcraft, so mm. it's not something that she and her parents can go flaunting around. So they live a modest life in Georgia with her ability kept only between them. Uh, but then tragedy strikes, and Lee is left alone. So she changes her appearance to look like a boy and flees town for California. Gold has recently been found there, and everyone is heading out there to try their luck. And who could be luckier than a girl with the magical ability to find gold? <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. But of course, there's danger. Uh, you know, she's being pursued. Uh, she faces the hazards of, of nature and the elements and humans. Um, you know, this is, like I, I said at the beginning, it's the first book in a trilogy, and what I'm sure will be an amazing trilogy, and also freshly uh, long-listed for the National Book Award. Um, it's just great fun. I really dug it. So that was Walk on Earth, A Stranger by Ray Carson. Whew. We made it. We did. We got to the end. We did. Uh, so I'll tell you what I'm going to read now yes, while please. you catch your breath. <laughs> I am going to go finish Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. Yay! <laughs> it's so good. You are definitely not going to have to eat James Patterson. He's going no, to sell a, a bajillion copies of yeah. this book. Yeah. Uh, it's about an opera singer who is approached by someone uh, who wants her to originate the lead role in a new opera, which is the highest honor for an opera singer and the only honor that she has not yet achieved. And it turns out that the opera is based on her life. Uh, she's not sure if the person who approaches her knows that, knows that the story is her story, but only four people in the world know her real story. She has a very mysterious back history. And so now she has to figure out which of those people has betrayed her and who knows and how much they know. And it's so good. It was also the perfect thing to be reading in New Orleans. Like it's set in Paris, but so much of the French Quarter looks like how I imagine old Paris 
looks and they don't call it the French Quarter for nothing. Um, and I could just see, you know, people in fancy dresses running across the street going to operas and prostitutes lined up in the red light district and uh, everybody in between beggars on the streets and just, you know, all of the characters who populate this book. It's so beautifully written and it's such a great mystery at the heart of it. And the characters are just so wonderful. And Alexander Chi is a genius and I would like for him to adopt us after we, uh, after we save James Patterson from being eaten. He really, he's like the king of the literary world. Like it's so he knows good. everybody, everyone loves him. Everyone adores him. He's amazing. He's an amazing writer. He's the king. It's so good. Yes. What's on tap for you? Oh, boy. I read the description of this book, and I hit request before I even finished reading it. <laughs> it's called The Black Tongue by Marco Hautala. I hope I'm saying that right. He's a Finnish author. Um, this is a Finnish thriller about a college student who goes back to her hometown to finish her dissertation. Uh, she is researching the urban legend of Granny Hatchet, <laughs> who is apparently, the urban legend goes... An immortal old woman who kills people with a hatchet, steals their hearts, buries them in a potato field, and then digs them up once they've rotted and eats them. You've never heard of Granny Hatchet before? Is this a new... Th no. Is this something you've heard of? <laughs> I think I've heard a version of this. What? I'd never heard this. I was like, I'm so here for this. So here for this, yeah. I was originally going to say something like, Granny's gone wild, but then I thought about it. I was like, no. No. <laughs> this, this is, is right up your alley. That's perfect. <laughs> yes. So this actually comes out today as well. Um, so I'm reading it to get it in, into my head on time. Um, yeah. So awesome. there's that. So that's our show. We did <laughs> what a show. I don't think anybody's going to be able to listen to this on one and a half speed. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsors, Under the Udala Trees by Chinelo Oak Paranta. And where did the other one go? Uh, Entry, Entry Island, Island by Peter May. Uh, as always, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can talk to us on Twitter. I am at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is at Miss Liberty. If you've got a minute to rate or review the show on iTunes, we certainly always appreciate that. And so many of you have done us that favor so far. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you. Uh, and if you're going to be in New Orleans soon and you want to hear about bookstores and places to eat, I'm happy to answer those questions as well. This is a full service podcast. Absolutely. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today and about grannies with hatchets, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter where you can learn about more books out today. So happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.